When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Yesterday we had the surprise birthday of Baby Johnson just before this show started. Today we will be celebrating the 100th birthday of the man who has come to represent the spirit of a nation during this coronavirus pandemic. He is, of course, Captain Tom Moore, who has raised nearly £30 million for NHS charities together and who has been appointed an honorary colonel for his efforts. There's already been one fly past this morning and there'll be another one later on. Today, Prime Minister Boris Johnson will return to the front line with an appearance at the government briefing this afternoon where he's expected to rule out any early lifting of the lockdown until more conditions are met. And of course he will be uh, confounding all of those critics who said he's just finding any excuse to stay away from the public scrutiny even in as much as having a child just to get away from everybody. But there are yet more signs of businesses voluntarily reopening as well. Yesterday a Burger King outlet opened in Havant for dozens of drivers who queued up for takeaways. And word has reached me that some more restaurants are opening their doors as well. There's a definite feeling out there that people are having had enough are going back to business, going back to work, whether the government is going to allow them to do it or not. This morning, we will hear from legendary Times sketchwriter Quentin Letts on yesterday's performances in Parliament, where Keir Starmer attempted to bore everyone to oblivion at PMQs, and Pretty Patel schooled Yvette Cooper at the Home Affairs Select Committee. As ever, we want to hear your voices too on what you are seeing out there, what you are hearing, and what is going on in your lockdown world. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be travelling to Spain as their lockdown eases further, and we'll We'll be comparing how other countries around the world are coping with their particular situations. Also, we're talking once more with our witch experts about your consumer rights when it comes to cancelled flights and holidays. And we'll be looking at the problem for carers during this crisis as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. On homeschooling today, we're going to be learning about how to protect yourself from the perils of the internet. Spending all this time at home could be a boon for fraudsters and online scammers. Security expert Will Geddes will guide us through. Lots more to do, of course. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, you might be forgiven for thinking that it's certainly an- anything but business as usual in the chamber of the House of Commons because yesterday we watched as Dominic Raab and Keir Starmer sort of had a be- sort of chess match around trying to be as polite as possible to one another while clearly not being terribly happy with the answers and the questions that were being given. Let's talk to Quentin Letts, who's been watching it uh, with his usual eagle eye. Quentin, a very good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Yes, I very much enjoyed your sketch this morning. I thought it was absolutely terrific. With um, so the summing up, because it's all very strange at the moment, watching people on television screens um, and the various sort of limitations of that form of communication. Uh, yes, I actually was in the Commons Gallery. There was one or, one or two of us still going into the old place mm. um, to watch Prime Minister's questions yesterday, but a lot of the committees are just being done exclusively on 
in tele, virtual meetings, as they call them. It's a fancy fancy word for saying somebody's scratching their their undercarriage at home, looking into a TV (laughs) screen and uh, 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 trying to um, come up with something interesting to say. Um, uh, That's what we're all basically doing, I fear. Anyway, um, it is still going Parliament, and there are questions being asked, uh, uh, and there are answers not being given. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that is the thing. But I, I sense that, in a way, I wonder whether Boris Johnson doesn't fancy going back into that particular form uh, of, of Prime Minister's questions because it doesn't really suit him. Because I imagine being up against Keir Starmer, who went on and on, as you pointed out, at about 25 past 12, uh, so, goodness, so, yeah. so, that, so that barely anybody else could get any questions in. And he does have this terribly soporific style where you're kind of going... Yeah, but what, what, what do you, what's, what's your point? You know, what do you want? And I can't really see Boris dealing with that very well. Well, supporters of Sir Keir would tell you that he is actually forensic mm. and that he is uh, a lawyer. He's spent a lot of his life in court. And this uh, paired back has the Commons. The Commons is very empty. It only had 15 people in it mm. at Prime Minister's questions yesterday. It doesn't really resemble a parliament anymore. It resembles a court much more, a court. Yes. And in some ways, this suits Keir Starmer, but my goodness, he was boring yesterday. He went on and on. Mm. And of course, opposite him, representing the government, representing, it makes it sound just like a court, doesn't it? But uh, speaking for the government was Dominic Raab, who is also a lawyer. And so I, it was pretty slow going, it has to be said. But, you know, that does suit Sakir. It, it wouldn't suit Boris Johnson so much. He, has, he hasn't actually done a Prime Minister's questions under these arrangements because he was ill, and then yesterday he just had the, the, the baby had just arrived and he hadn't had any right. sleep, and it was probably just as well he wasn't there. But uh, Sir Keir, if he's going to do that sort of thing in a packed House of Commons, when the Commons is back properly, and when the, when the old chamber is rocking and rolling, as it can, can do, I think he's going to get an awful lot of jip from the troops. Well, I think that may well be true, but I, well, as I say, I can't imagine him sort of joshing in that situation with Keir Starmer, because one, of course, everything has to be taken <laughs> terribly seriously, right? And you can't really be making fun of anything. And everybody keeps telling me that Boris is now a changed man. He's no longer, oh, well. you know, the bumbling sort of, uh, you know, uh, boarding school boy that's got long trousers on. And in fact, now he's a very much more senior politician because of his near-death experience and the fact that he's yeah. now become a father, which I'm not sure is entirely correct. No, that won't last. Uh, that won't last at all. Uh, Sakir is not one of life's thigh slappers. No. I think we can put it say, safely like that. Um, He's not someone you'd want to spend a long time on a train with, is he? No, but that, in a way, has things to commend itself. I mean, you know, we do, we do not necessarily want clowns running our country or more clowns no. running our country. But at the same time, to cut through as a party leader, certainly as a leader of the opposition, which is a really tricky job, you've got to have a bit of the vulgar streak to you in order to uh, connect with the great unwashed of the British voting public. Mm. Uh, uh, You know, we we tend to want our politicians to have a bit of brio about them. And so far, I say so far because it's early days yet with Sakir, he may turn out to be absolutely brilliant. So let's not write him off yet. Well, I mean, I have um, to say, he's certainly an improvement on old Jezza. You know, I don't don't miss Mr Corbyn's uh, interventions whatsoever. You're very unkind to everyone. You really are, uh, Mike. You're not charitable. No, I don't don't feel very charitable, I'm afraid, you know, because here I am sitting here, um, locked in my apartment, aside from when I get out to go to work, uh, thanks to these people who are making me do it, and I'm sure they're right, but, you know, I feel no charity towards them. No, and there is this growing feeling, isn't there? As you were saying in your introduction, there's a feeling in the country that um, maybe the lockdown has gone on long enough. Well, Mm. today Boris Johnson is going to give the five o'clock briefing and we're going to see him try to uh, square uh, that uh, need 
for a bit of relief that the country seems to be wanting with the continuation uh, in government circles of, of, a, of, of a policy uh, of lockdown. So how is Boris going to square this? It's going to be interesting to see. Well, you know, I've watched with interest the, the strategy as I've seen it, and you may dis disagree with this, but I think they've deliberately kept it relatively vague as time has gone on you know, tightened it when they've needed to, changed it when they've needed to, but literally made it feel as though it's down to us. Because a lot of people I've been talking to in recent days and, and the last week or so have said, you know, we voluntarily shut down our businesses because that was the suggestion. And now we're going to voluntarily reopen them. Well, it doesn't feel voluntary to a lot of pubs, I must confess. No, I'm not talking uh, about pubs. No, that's, that's true. But, I mean, no, certainly no, people, things like... People staying at home. Well, the voluntary aspect is important. Yeah. And uh, we saw uh, a couple of weeks ago there was a little bit of sign of the police getting a bit heavy-handed. Yes. And that they, the police have been told to stop being heavy-handed. Yes. And I think correctly so, because the, the voluntary element of uh, lockdown... It's important not only for, um, uh, for, for obedience, because the Brits won't necessarily do it otherwise, but it's also important for the Johnson government, because Boris Johnson is at heart uh, a believer in freedom, or so he's always telling us, and um, doesn't naturally want to, uh, to stop people doing, having fun. Because no. The whole thing about Boris, his whole political sales pitch is uh, liberty and mm. fun. Yes. And this is why lockdown is so very alien to him and to his political creed. That he's so far managed to keep, keep both um, uh, uh, plates spinning. He's managed to keep his identity as a, as a frivolous, well, not quite as a frivolous, but as a, uh, an uplifting character going. And he's also managed to keep going the, uh, the government lockdown, which they say, and I think it's probably true, is um, preventing the greater spread of this disease. So, but how can he keep it going? Yes. <laughs> that, well, that's, that's the interesting the thing, test. because looking around in the times um, further along from where your sketch is today, there's a great piece from various different countries talking about how they've dealt with it all. And I'm fascinated by that because we haven't really had a lockdown in the same way that places like Italy and Spain have had, where there was literally nobody on the streets, where you couldn't go out without a piece of paper from the government telling you. Yep. In South Korea, where basically you get tannoy messages as you walk around, telling you yep. pieces of information as if you're in some kind of Orwellian nightmare. And in yep. Italy at the moment, they're not sure whether you're allowed to go and visit your girlfriend or boyfriend. And it's very tricky, this whole business. Well, I think that the, the boyfriend-girlfriend uh, thing is is pretty tricky in this country as yeah. well. But uh, we have not had the Spanish thing of um, people being stopped by the police and asked to produce their papers. The French, you had to have written uh, permission, a bit like leaving school. And um, I don't think the British people would have been happy with that. And also, mm. you've got to bear in mind that not everyone lives in London. I'm speaking to you from Herefordshire and... There is much less of the disease here, but also, uh, are you going to demand papers from people in the middle of a country field if they're walking across it? It just it becomes mm. unrealistic that sort of law imposition of of the rules. And um, uh, I'm glad, I must say, that our government hasn't got all hot and heavy about that. And that's why I worry about, for instance, face masks, because face masks may make sense, may make sense uh, or to to improve. Um, public confidence mm. on the London Underground, yeah. but they make absolutely no sense at all if you're outside the M25. They make much less sense outside yes. the M25. Yes. Uh, and, and if you're going to impose a whole rule on, on the whole country, which they seem to be doing at the moment because they're hesitant to have different rules applying to different parts of the country, then I think you've really got to be light about these regulations and, and a, a voluntary aspect 
is essential. Yes, and also we know from from the, just the coverage that we've been giving for the last five to six weeks that the, the, the advice changes sometimes on a daily basis. It was only a week ago we were told best not to wear masks because that will use up all the ones that, that, that are needed for, the, for people working on the front line of the NHS. Well, and also, so, the, 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 science, the science about the masks is pretty flaky. Yes. Uh, but it's really just to do with public confidence and people are feeling twitchy, some of them, you might, some, some might say neurotic about mm. things. And, um, you know, if masks can help people go back, well, maybe that. I mean, I personally, I hate the idea of wearing a mask. I think that I just find them inhuman and... Uh, yes. And also, and also the fact that in somewhere like South Korea, everybody walks around wearing a mask. You know, quite often they were doing that anyway. Same as in Japan, people were wearing masks walking around on the street, uh, regardless. And but certainly before any of this happened, you would quite often see Japanese tourists walking around in London wearing masks because culturally it's much more familiar for them. Yesterday uh, at Paddington Station, I saw a woman wearing a mask. It didn't even cover her nose. It's mm. rather, rather pointless. Yeah, I saw somebody standing outside of Tesco's the other day wearing a mask, then removing the mask and putting a cigarette in her mouth, lighting it and then smoking it. <laughs> and I thought, I'm pretty sure that's not the, the, the right way to wear a mask. <laughs> It really is quite extraordinary. What about Pretty Patel? I must confess, uh, when I was watching her yesterday, I didn't realise it was actually her because she looked quite different. There was something, something going on with the hair. Yeah, yeah, she had her hair up. Uh, 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 she was um, actually at the Home Office, I think, um, and had a couple of her top officials next to her mm. uh, at a social distance, I'm sure. But she was up before the Home Affairs Select Committee yesterday, and the Select Committee members didn't really get much of a look in because most of the meeting was really a ding-dong battle between Yvette Cooper, yes. a Labour MP who is the chairman of the Home Affairs Select Committee, and... Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary, and it was really Yvette v Pretty. It was it was a singles match. Yes, and uh, things got very tense. <laughs> uh, uh, Yvette, I don't know if you know Yvette, but uh, uh, she's Mistress Snooty. She's tremendous. I loved your description of her as the sort of uh, the woman who runs the creche. I thought that was yes, great. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, she's always very disappointed with yeah. everyone and sort of looks down her nose. And um, uh, I mean, I, I've got a I've got a soft spot for Yvette, but uh, she is she does have a particularly sort of highfalutin manner mm. and um, uh, Pretty. Uh, uh, is probably, you know, you can probably compare her to the gum-chewing dunce in the class. Um, <laughs> she's not necessarily a details woman. No. And, uh, but you've uh, also uh, captured her manner of speaking brilliantly <laughs> in word, in written words. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't do the Gs at the end of words. No. Um, present participles. A bit like uh, Sky's Beth Rigby. I mean, yes. there's nothing wrong with that, but it just, it's a tremendous... I don't agree. Contrast. I think there's something terribly wrong with it. I don't agree that that should be in any way allowable as a, as a form well, of Well, there you go again, Mike. You're very stentorious this morning. <laughs> uh, um, uh, uh, it was a tremendous comic contrast between the precision, the, yes. the, the, the sniffy precision of Yvette and dear old uh, uh, Pretty Patel sort of leaning back and saying everything was right. And, and, and it was just, uh, it was glorious to watch. And what happened was Yvette kept pressing for some particular mm. um, statistic. Yes. Uh, she, she does this. And uh, the statistic is normally completely unimportant, but it's just to try to, to sort of um, pierce the minister, try to shame them into saying that they don't know something. And pretty plainly didn't have a clue what was going on until eventually someone slipped her this important statistic and she was able to produce it with a flourish and uh, a completely torpedoed uh, Yvette. Uh, it was a delicious little cameo. Wonderful. But, uh, I, I dare say that next time round, Yvette will, will win. Very possibly so. And then I can't let you go without a mentioning of my good friend and learned colleague, Mr Stephen Doughty, 
uh, Labour, ah. Cardiff South, a man who I had a joust with some time ago uh, because he promised me that he had had thousands upon thousands of emails from his <laughs> constituents who had decided to vote Leave but had changed their minds and were now going to vote Remain. That's why we yeah. needed to have a second referendum. And when I asked him to produce one of them, uh, he failed to do so and then blocked me on Twitter and has never spoken to me since. So <laughs> I love the idea that you're giving him a bit of a, a, a roasting as well. Well, he's yeah. He, he, he his home computer, you know, because we see him at his home because yes. it's all virtual, and he's got some odd lighting going on. He goes up quite close to the camera, <laughs> but one side of his face is lit slightly, sort of ghostly way, right. and it looks just like somebody opening their fridge door late at <laughs> night to have a to, to have a cold sausage. And actually, old Doughty looks like he's the sort of man who's been had a few trips too many to the fridge. Yes, there's right? a sagginess about this sallow <laughs> complexion, I have to say. But brilliant. Quentin, as ever, you have brightened everybody's morning. And thank oh, you well, so much uh, for being yeah, a, a great a sense of positivity to the proceedings. Quentin Letts, the sketch writer from The Times, a brilliant man. Uh, if you haven't read it yet, you really should read his sketch because it is terrific. It captures, in fact, it saves you having to watch any of Prime Minister's questions and indeed the Home Affairs Select Committee because he captures it also brilliantly. Uh, uh, he is a man uh, with whom I can absolutely and utterly engage on almost any subject. Now, uh, we need to talk to many of you because there is no doubt in my mind, particularly over the last few days of this week, we are getting busier out there. There are more people going back to work. There are people offering hairdressing solutions, offering food solutions. There may even be people offering drink solutions. We heard yesterday afternoon that Weatherspoons are talking about opening up their hotels and their bars in June. We're definitely moving somewhere towards the lifting of a lockdown. And whether it is ordered by the government, whether it is sanctioned by the government, or whether it is just sanctioned by the people of this great country of ours. 0344 499 1000. Don't forget, we are live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. Get on it. Watch us, like us and subscribe to us and you'll be able to get all the other great stuff that we do. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. You know what to do. You can tweet us at Talk Radio, at I-R-O-M-G. Don't forget, out there uh, in the big wide world of YouTube, we've got loads of really good things to watch. So do go there and watch them. We've got my Peter Hitchens series of interviews. We've got Plank of the Week, which has returned this week uh, as a video uh, with Will Geddes and Georgie Frost. Uh, we're going to be doing more and more shows and more and more stuff on YouTube, on the channel, as uh, as we open up the uh, the TV studios here at uh, News UK. Right now, though, I'm going to talk to Victoria Borwick, uh, who is, of course, formerly Deputy Mayor of London. Boris Johnson yesterday uh, announced that he and Carrie Simmons had uh, had the delightful uh, surprise, well, not surprise for us, for them, as it was for us, obviously, uh, of a baby boy. Uh, and so, born in a London hospital, uh, everybody's well. Boris then, of course, was, uh, was attacked by uh, his enemies and, and said to be hiding, using any excuse not to be scrutinised at PMQs. He is going to be appearing this afternoon uh, at the government briefing, so uh, that's obviously absolute and utter tosh. Let's talk to Victoria and see what she makes of it. Well, Victoria, very good morning to you. Good morning to well, the wonderful morning and the independent um, country of. Yes, it is. Well, it is a, it's a wonderful place to be the Independent Republic of Mike Graham because we, you know, we, we, we take things seriously, but at the same time, uh, we don't mind enjoying ourselves and we don't particularly wish to, to preach doom and gloom all over the place, you know, because quite frankly, there's a lot to celebrate. Um, and I'm getting the sense that, um, notwithstanding what Boris may say this afternoon, there are people kind of voluntarily and, and, and with some um, care slightly unlocking themselves. 
I think uh, that's possibly happening. I mean, obviously, it's just lovely yesterday to have the great news of a birth. You know, I think it really shows our NHS at its best. One moment, you know, terrible roller coaster for Boris. One moment, you know, at death's door, yeah. being cared for by the NHS. And then whippy a few couple of weeks or three weeks later, the celebration of a new birth. And I think just for a moment, if everybody pauses and gives a bit of a smile, it doesn't. It does certainly cheer us up. I was impressed by Sir Keir Starmer's comments. You know, the congratulations across the house yesterday at PMQs. Those seem very genuine, and mm. I think that's a really nice way of actually taking a moment to pause and say how we wish them wish them all well. You know, on Thursday tonight, I'm sure we're all going to be clapping for carers, clapping for all our key workers and those people, as you say, who are coming slightly out of lockdown mm. to, to help. Uh, I think it's the energy of the people of this country rising to the challenge, you know, just not just waiting to be told what to do, yeah. but to see what they can do to help. Yes, I think that's right. And I think we're all aware of the fact that obviously things have changed massively. I mean, I was looking through some pictures from uh, some time I spent in Scotland over Christmas and, and you're looking at pictures as if now we're a sort of an alien breed going, oh, look, remember that? We were sitting, uh, having dinner together and over there was there's me in a bar talking to somebody next to me, you know, and all the things that, that, that we're not able to currently do, uh, which is not to say we can't find a new way of doing them. No, I think that's absolutely right. And wasn't it wonderful today to celebrate Captain Tom Moore, now yes. honorary Colonel Tom Moore's 100th birthday? I mean, hasn't he set an amazing example? And the phrase he used today that he can remember when those hurricanes and spitfires went out in anger. Yes. And isn't it wonderful today to see them as a, as a celebration of peace mm. and happiness? And that's, again, something to cheer us all up. We so need that at the moment with this terrible death toll. Yes, I think we do. But I think we also have to use caution with the comparisons with the death tolls as well, because, you know, there are those who would tell us that, you know, we're the worst performing country in Europe. You know, only Spain and, and possibly Belgium are worse, but that that's going to change soon. You know, I'm not sure whether... Uh, it's the right thing to do to add in all of the deaths from the care homes because nobody else is doing that and it does make Britain look a lot worse than, than many other countries. Yes, I think the point is we need transparency. I mean, we know what the, what the figures are because they come from the hospitals every day. Yeah. And now, of course, we're beginning to know what the care home deaths are. And as long as I think, you know, it's, it's treating the British people like idiots if they don't say, well, these are the hospital ones, these are the ones that take a few more days to catch up with because they've got to be collated from the care homes. I think as long as people know, actually most people are perfectly capable of, of making a judgment of what they're being told. Yes. I don't think it's the case of the best or the worst. Mm. It's sort of reminding people, you know, what, what needs to happen and how we all need to take care. But I do hope that gradually we begin to see a few more outdoor activities, you know, available for mm. people. Yes, indeed. It almost seems as though there are some sections of the media, though, who are sort of disappointed that the death toll from the hospitals is going down. So they're kind of looking for somewhere else to find some more bad news. Well, there's lots of good news, as I know that you're really keen on reminding people. I mean, look at all the work that's going on across all the community centres and spirits mm. and schools and universities where people are volunteering, are seeing what they can do. You know, cooks are cooking. People are making donations to hospitals and nurses. You know, people are um, sewing. People are making PPE equipment. They're turning their stuff that was perhaps used for educating pupils 
into new technologies and they're using that to make face masks and things. I mean, across the country, almost every hospital has got, you know, friends of the local hospital, you know, everyone. I think I've seen tremendous community spirit, which I think is the best mm. of this country. I mean, we have a volunteer centre um, here up in um, North Kensington and, you know, they've had lots of people out delivering to those. You know, half the country is in lockdown, but a lot of other people are getting out there and doing what they can do to help their neighbours. And I think that's what really shows our spirit at the best. Oh, I think it absolutely does. And what about the way that we do manage this sort of um, uh, easing of the lockdown, Victoria? Would you be one of those who says it might be a good idea to do it differently in different parts of the country, like geographically? You know, obviously in London, where there's a very heavy um, and dense population, that may be different from, say, the Peak District of Derbyshire. Well, yes, I mean, I find it difficult to see why somebody shouldn't take their dog for a walk on a lonely hillside on the Peak District. Yeah. I have to say that's certainly social distancing of several miles. And, you know, in London, we're only social distancing for a few feet. You know, even around central London, mm. we see all the shops and the banks and the coffee shops now with people, you know, outside and about six foot apart. Well, as if you go to the wilds of Cornwall or you go to other parts of our country or, you know, just walk along the beach... Uh, you know, we've got a fantastic coastline here, and I think anything we can do to get people out and about and enjoying the fresh air is, of course, so good yes. for their mental health mm. and cheers everybody up. So, yes, I think actually trying to say, OK, the, the national parks should be open to everybody. You know, the National Trust, I think, originally made their gardens open to yes. people. I think anything we can do to, to think a bit more creatively... Um, is, is the right thing to do. I think we shouldn't just be bidden by rules. You know, whether here we are with the independent republic, mm. and I think we should be putting out some independent thought. Yes, quite. And I think the same goes for the parks in London as well, because particularly where people live in high-rises or, or, yes. or blocks of flats where there is really no access to outdoor space and no greenery at all, you know, the idea that people have moved on because they've gone to sit on a park bench, I think, is madness. And I'm hoping, because I was promised it by Ken Marsh from the Metropolitan uh, Police Federation on Monday, that we will not have another one of these episodes tonight on Westminster Bridge of a load of police officers yeah. that are doing what they're telling everybody else not to do. Yes, it seemed, that seemed an extraordinary picture. I don't know, it was just the way the angle of the lens. But actually, as you say, that's, I mean, I, of course we should all come out and support, but you don't have to stand absolutely, you know, on your neighbour's shoes in order right. to clap for our carers and celebrate... But also, they're creating, but they're also they're creating an event which people then go to, which is the problem I've got. I mean, you know, I don't mind police officers standing outside their cars and clapping as long as they're far enough away from each other. But by doing it on Westminster Bridge with the help of people from the NHS and ambulances and all that, it becomes a spectacle, which is pre precisely what we're not supposed to be doing. Quite right, too. So, no, I think you're absolutely right. I'd like to see garden centres open. Yeah. I'd like to see, you know, people be able to use golf courses. I'd like people to be able to use the, our coastline, um, our national parks, yeah. the national trust. You know, we've got hundreds of open space. We have got lots of open space in, in the United Kingdom. We're very lucky. And I think, we're, therefore, those people should be banging their heads together and say, OK, what can we do to make sure that uh, Britain is used more fairly in the sense of its land use? Get yes. people, give people some space. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And Victoria, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And, and uh, we, we, you're always welcome in the Independent Republic of Mike Gray. Victoria Borwick there, former Deputy Mayor of London, uh, worked with Boris Johnson very closely. Another very upbeat individual who is looking forward to the day when we can indeed do more of the things that we used to do. We may have to do them differently. We may have to do them with fewer people around. But, you know, surely to goodness we can organise that. Surely we can be imaginative enough. Surely we can be careful enough. Surely we can be cautious enough uh, 
to be able to get back to some form of normality. I don't expect Boris Johnson to say that this afternoon. We expect Boris Johnson this afternoon to say that lockdown must stay in place. But in some ways, he's saying that while knowing that people are already giving themselves a bit of an easier time and a, a relaxing of, of the rules. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is just after 12.30, so it is time for our usual feature at this time, which is, of course, homeschooling. So gather uh, your children around the radio uh, and have a listen to what pearls of wisdom we can uh, bring forth to you. Today, uh, I'm delighted to say we're talking to Will Geddes, international security expert, author of Parents Alert, How to Keep Your Children Safe Online, because as more and more people spend more and more time on the internet at home, uh, there's more and more chance that you're not being probably quite as vigilant uh, with your kids uh, and the time that they're spending on the computer uh, or the uh, PlayStation, as you might have done before. Will, a very good afternoon to you. And a very good afternoon to you, sir. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. It's a big thing, this, isn't it, now? Because the more people spend time at home, the more uh, they're sort of caning the Wi-Fi, if you like. And, I mean, I, I dread to think how much uh, capacity is now being used compared to what was happening this time last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, probably at the very start of lockdown, many parents were sort of breathing over their the children's shoulders, seeing what they were doing. But I think as time has gone on, certainly from many friends of mine, they've said that they've left the kids to it. They're doing their own thing. But the problem is, is that we are all not only on a day-to-day -day basis vulnerable to potential cybercrime, but also the potential risks. But children especially, because so, they're missing their interaction with their friends at school and their friends normally because they don't have the ability to be able to potentially meet with them, play with them, get together and therefore much of their activity and communication is now online. Yes, indeed. And a lot of it, of course, takes place through the, the, the this portal of gaming, really, doesn't it? And and we know from, from previous experience that some of these games are pretty are pretty secure, but but equally, if you're, if you're opening up the game to playing it publicly with people you don't know, some of those people may not be who they say they are. No, absolutely, Mike. And certainly with most of the major platforms, that's the PS4s, the Xboxes, the Nintendos, they're very well geared up. They're very conscious that they don't get a bad reputation or are not supporting their audience by having the suitable controls on their platforms to enable on the consoles for kids to be able to mute, block, uh, or even report, for that matter, anybody that might be giving them a tough time. But one thing that I would definitely recommend is if the parents aren't familiar with those controls, 
sit down with your child, ask them to show you if you don't know or they don't know already, and certainly get together and use it as a solution to work together because the most awful stories that I hear, Mike, are about children that are suffering persistent trolling or abuse online but they can't feel that they can talk to their parents about it for one reason or another. So this needs to be a bit of a family solution, a bit of a family strategy. And for the parents, they should know how they can best interact with those platforms as well. Yeah, exactly right. And are there uh, apps and things that you can get? I mean, I know that, that there are some kind of parental controls that you can put on things, but they seem to be quite easy to get around in some ways. Yeah, they are. I mean, and one of the areas which is always potentially a risk is going to be some of the um, online games which you'll find through the internet. So we're talking about games which are not necessarily have to, having the infrastructure and the control measures, the admins that people can report abuse from, uh, or, or to, if you like. And the other issue also, as you say, Mike, is on apps. Now, again, if you buy an app through one of the conventional uh, gateways like the App Store from mm. iOS, Apple products, or from Google Play, then you are going to have certain controls. It's never going to be 100%, but you're going to have a great deal more controls to ensure that your data and your privacy is respected. Yeah. But again, things like Snapchat have been caught out in the past where people or children have been, uh, if you like, signaling their locations uh, without them necessarily knowing. And again, this is something for parents. You can't helicopter this. You have to get down with your child, have a look at these apps, look at the control settings, the privacy settings, make sure you're not advertising data that you wouldn't necessarily need to or yes. want to. Yes, because, I mean, things like House Party and Zoom have obviously become very popular, uh, either for the purposes of business or just for the purposes of talking to, to friends and family in other parts of the world. Um, I presume you have to be quite careful with them as well. Yeah, very much so. I mean, with House Party, there have been a few questions about the privacy of your data. Yeah. I think, to a certain extent, a lot of that is urban myth. But there is this greater concern with House Party that unless you set up a closed group, anybody can potentially come into that group. And to be honest, it's no different to you sitting down with your mates in a pub yeah. uh, or in a coffee shop and some stranger coming and sitting at your table and introducing themselves. Sometimes that might be welcome. I'd say, knowing you and me, my 90% would probably be unwelcome. <laughs> Absolutely right. I, I only like to be hanging around with the people that I know and that I trust and that I like. And that is a difficult problem as well. And also, the old, the old adage of, of, you know, keep the microphone switched off, you know, don't allow people access to your contacts if you don't want them to have access to your contacts, also str strongly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. And again, going into not only the settings of the app, but also the settings on your iPhone. One of the things that always comes as a huge surprise to people is in their location settings. Yeah. And if you have a look in your location settings, you'll be if you take that time, and many people have got that time right now, to really hunt around the settings in your phone, you'd be really shocked and surprised how much data is being recorded about your whereabouts, mm. your regular locations you visit. This is sort of data that do you really want advertisers or anyone else for that matter necessarily knowing about without your permission. No, of course. And because of the way that uh, we are now all sort of locked in and probably spending more time online than ever, there will be more uh, sort of scumbags out there, won't there? People trying to take advantage of people. Oh, yes. I mean, phishing attacks, uh, and that's the pH phishing, uh, are really at their optimum right now. I mean, I even received one this morning, Mike, from a phishing attack which said it was Sainsbury's reward points. Oh, yeah. Now, I've never registered for a Sainsbury's card. I'm sure there is one, uh, but it's saying click on this link to retrieve your rewards. 
we're going to get all these suspicious looking emails coming through right now. And I would say, you know, be very, very, very careful which ones you actually click on, because some of the phishing attacks these days are very sophisticated and there are all sorts of things that they can do if you click on it. And also you're passing your IP address. That is the identifier for your device to various groups that potentially could sell it on to other groups. And you could be spammed with lots of email or, for that matter, more phishing attempts that are potentially a bit more sophisticated. Most of them, thankfully, Mike, are usually quite buckshy and a bit amateur. Yes. And if you're looking at it, your gut often, more often, will say, this doesn't look right. Well, listen to that gut. Well, you know what's interesting? I got one yesterday, which I hadn't seen before, which claimed to be from the Office of Foreign Assets Control, U.S. Department of the Treasury, uh, one, uh, 1,015, sorry, 1,500 Pennsylvania Avenue. And normally what I do is I look at the actual email address that it's come from, and normally it's some a gobbledygook that you can tell it obviously is not official. But this one actually says it's from recruitment at ofacmail.gov.us. Now, that sounds to me like a proper email address. Oh, yeah, but cloning email addresses, Mike, is really not that sophisticated or that difficult. I, really? I, I don't want to encourage people who are listening in to potentially exploit this, but if you go online and simply do a Google search of about cloning email addresses, you'll find a number of places that will be offering the service, supposedly under the, the auspices of it mm. being a novelty or a joke, but you could actually, in many regards, duplicate a friend's email address and use that right. message to someone else. I mean, this one came into my junk anyway. So, I mean, is it, is it wise to... I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm never going to reply to it, but is it wise to actually delete it or just leave it there to disappear? Yeah, just delete it. I mean, in most cases, uh, if it's gone into your junk, then it can be deleted. There used to be an argument to say don't delete because, again, that confirms that you've actually received that email. Right. But to be honest, most of these things are very widespread attacks. They're sending out thousands, if not tens of thousands of these emails on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, it's really not going to make that much difference. But what it will do is remove the opportunity of you being caught maybe less aware mm. and going, hang on a second, is that something I need to reply to? And you clicking on it. Yes, exactly right. And also text messages have, uh, have been sort of ramping up a bit as well, haven't they? I got one the other day from some bank account that I didn't have suggesting that there'd been a deposit made and I should click this link to uh, see, access it and all that, which again, I didn't do because I knew that I didn't have a bank account there. No, absolutely. I mean, if you get anything that is official, I mean, the common ones right now, as you say, Mike, are going to be things like your bank, it's going to be your mortgage company, it will be uh, COVID testing, for example, that's quite a common one right now, could be the tax office. Uh, again, if someone wants to send you a serious message, if it's some organisation that you know, but you're suspicious of it, call through the conventional numbers that you have for them. So call through to your bank, call through to your mortgage company to confirm if that message has come through. Remember, the one thing that phishing attempts and scammers are always going to try and profit by is your fear and your anxiety. So the more frightening that message is, the more likely they believe mm. you're going to click on it. And unfortunately, there are many people out there who will be caught at a vulnerable moment and go, oh my goodness, I'm, my, my account is overdrawn or money's been removed from my account or my mortgage has been cancelled. What must this be? And clicking on the link. And yeah. then unfortunately, you're opening up a Pandora's box of problems. Yes, absolutely right. So uh, let's get hold of this book of yours, Parents Alert, How to Keep Your Children Safe Online. Is that still around? 
It is. Mike is still around. Uh, it's accessible. I think it's on Amazon these days, uh, but uh, most reputable bookstores, as they say. <laughs> of course. Brilliant stuff. Will, thanks very much indeed. Will Geddes, international security expert. Go and get his book, Parents Alert, How to Keep Your Children Safe Online. Get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it delivered in these difficult times, of course, because the bookshops won't be open. Not yet, anyway, but who knows? Maybe next week we'll hear that you can open a bookshop, if you wish. That might be government advice by next week. We shall see. 0344 499 1000. Coming up next, we're going to have a little uh, wine tasting because apparently uh, it is indeed uh, Sauvignon Blanc Day tomorrow. And for those of you who are uh, aficion aficionados of Sauvignon Blanc, you'll know that an awful lot of it comes from New Zealand. Uh, there's going to be a tasting tomorrow at 8pm on Zoom. Uh, and this is all with Wine Trust 100. So we're going to be talking, coming up, uh, to Nick Adams, a master of wine, uh, about how you can get involved in that. And we might even taste a little bit of it to see uh, how good it is. This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock. Dan Wooten coming up at four, of course. I've got some um, some cups here. They used to be glasses, but of course, now that we're in the middle of a lockdown, we can't get glasses in the building anymore. But I've got three glasses here because... Uh, well, three cups, right? Sounds like the beginning of a Tommy Cooper sketch. Three cups and uh, we've got three bottles of wine because, believe it or not, tomorrow uh, is Sauvignon Blanc Day. So it's time to welcome Nick Adams, Master of Wine, who's going to be hosting a live interactive wine tasting to celebrate Sauvignon Blanc Day with Wine Trust 100. Nick, a very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm very, I'm very well indeed. I mean, who knew that we would be doing sort of virtual wine tastings uh, without somebody in the studio with some lovely crystal um, wine glasses? But instead, we've got paper cups. But uh, you know, listen, we have to get by as best we can. Exactly, and I, it's funny. I've got, I've got cups as well. So, uh, <laughs> they're very practical, if not very romantic. Yes. Now, I mean, I'm often one of those people that complains about, you know, this you know, hamburger day or something like that. But I'm very happy to celebrate Sauvignon Blanc Day because I'm a big fan of Sauvignon Blanc, and of course, New Zealand uh, is very much uh, one of the great homes of it. Absolutely, it's uh, particularly the Marlborough, which is in the northern yes. end of Southern Ireland. It's uh, a spiritual home, uh, one of the best places on the planet for this particular variety. Yes, and what have we got today to uh, to to taste and to and to uh, enjoy? Right, three wines. Well, obviously, uh, probably no brain. I'm going to start with uh, uh, Lawson's Dry Hills Sauvignon Blanc, which okay. is obviously uh, the benchmark style. And then the, the what I thought would be interesting to do white rosé and red. So, yeah. um, as well as Sauvignon Blanc in the area, they're growing very successfully Pinot Noir, which is a black grape yes. that makes red wine but it also makes very good rosé so uh, it's, you know it's one of it's one of my current favorites i discovered pinot noir probably about I don't know, maybe two years ago, um, and I didn't know too much about it, but I'm, I'm learning more and more as the time goes by. Um, yeah. And it's and it's a beautiful wine to drink because it's quite light, isn't it? Absolutely, and it's not too tannic, it's not too heavy, but it's still got plenty of oomph and fruit and character. Um, it's a it's a very good summer drinking. Yes, and actually serve it cool on a, on a summer's day. I was going to uh, say, are you one of those who says put the red wine in the fridge by all means? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly if the ambient temperature is high. You know, we've we've had obviously in April, you know, if it goes on like this, we, it might be a very good summer indeed. And mm. you know, um, you want to enjoy red wine in the summer. Why not? And just just cool it down. Twenty minutes in the fridge, and yeah. it's lovely. Very nice. Okay, well, you might have heard me just unscrewing the uh, the Lawson's Dry Hills. So, shall I pour a little bit out into my first cup? Yeah, I've got them all ready here. So, uh, so we, you've got the Sauvignon Blanc there. Yes, I have. Right. Well, Sauvignon Blanc is. Uh, it's the biggest grape in, in the region. Uh, it makes this highly individual style. Um, 
Lawson's Dry Hills generally make most of it. Is There's no oak in here. It's a tiny bit of oak. Um, Marcus Wright, the winemaker, gives it about 7% in old French barrels, just mm. for a bit of texture and volume. But it's all about fresh, unbridled fruit flavours. And above all, you probably notice now, if you stick your nose in the cup, even in a unromantic cup, it, you get a real waft of, um, of green fruit. Yes. Um, uh, I'm getting a bit of gooseberry, is that right? Would that be right? Also, I find with this one, I mean, I must stress, uh, people maybe get a bit self-conscious sometimes tasting, smelling, drinking Mm. wine. Shouldn't worry about it. I'm I'm afraid I'm not one of those people that's at all self-conscious. I'm quite the reverse. (laughs) Well, well, I'm not either because, you know, I try a lot of wine, so I'm very happy to sort of fire away on this. And I say... A lot of it is personal to you, and you must never feel, you know, sort of self-conscious of that. If you smell or taste something that's, that you, that you, you comes to you, that's your choice, and if, hopefully you like it. So, yes, absolutely. I'm also getting, like, pink grapefruit and uh, mm. passion fruit. Yes. And, yes, it's quite tart, isn't it? Yeah, now, you see, if you sip it, it's, it's what we would say is crisp, it's very refreshing, yeah. um, it's very lively, zesty almost. Yes. And you mm. get that slightly asparagus or... or mm. Just note as well as all the bold fruit flavours that come through. Very citric, but as you say, green fruits, gooseberry. Yeah. Um, and I get a bit of passion fruit as well. You know when the old, the old passion fruit shrivels and... Yes. Yeah, I, you know, I love it. As lovely. A, as a, oh. no, that's really lovely. Before we do the next one, tell us a bit about the event uh, tomorrow, 8pm on Zoom. How does that work? Right, this is with Wine Trust uh, 100. And uh, the Zooms, I mean, I'm getting used to Zoom. I think a lot of us are getting we used to We are, yeah. Maybe a lot of people are never going to go back to work properly. They're just going to stay home and do everything on Zoom. Well, isn't it interesting? I think <laughs> a lot of things are going to unfold this week. It's going to become the new, these sort of things are going to become the new norm. And, um, you know, there's no reason why we can't do more wine right. on Zoom. But I, I'm basically hosting it. So I'm my ugly mug will be on the screen. And then people join in and they can see me. I'm taking them through actually six wines tomorrow. Okay. You're having a sample of three of those six wines. Um, and then I'm basically going to introduce and tell them a bit more about Lawson's High Hills in, in detail about the, the producer. Uh, who, and I've worked with them for 25 years, so I, I know them very well. And uh, we then go through the, the six wines a bit more in detail about them, obviously because it's going to be longer about mm. it. And then... Uh, I take questions from them, which they mail in, um, you know, food and wine pairings, that's, you know, and, and interesting, obviously, in, in their reaction. Wine Trust are also doing um, a, a very special six-pack offer cases and 12-pack offer cases on the Lawson's wine. So um, uh, if I can, at the end, I'll give you the, the www. Yes. address just to, to sure. swim yeah. off. Let's do that. Well, let's do, that. Let's, let's do the next one. Should we do the pink uh, Pinot next? Yeah, yeah. Now this is interesting because this, this is this is also from Pinot Noir. Right. Now, if you if you squeeze the juice, um, uh, if you squeeze the juice of a wine grape, the juice is actually water white. There's no colour in it at all. So if you want to get colour into a wine, you have to macerate it with the skins. You have to drop the skins. And the, the nearest analogy I can give is like making a big pot of tea. Okay. You know, when you put the water and chuck the leaves in or the tea bag, and that, that leaches the the colour out. So obviously, if you want to make a deep-coloured red, you leave the skins in contact for quite some time. It could be like two or three weeks. Mm. If you're going to make a rosé, which this is, they, Lawson's Dry Hills give it about 48, 48 hours. Okay. And it just this really nice, attractive uh, uh, pink colour. Yes, it's, they, it's not too dark, is it? No, it's not too dark. And it's, the fashion is... Uh, the fashion these days is to have uh, to drink paler rosés. Yes. 
you know, and they look. I must say, I do, I do prefer a paler one. Yeah, they do, and they look, you know, and again, it's a bit of a no-brainer, but they, they're wonderful summer drinking and uh, very, you know, sitting outside on on, on patio, hot summer's day, or you know, and uh, just uh, such a lovely, easy popping mm. wine. And I, I don't know what fruit. Are you getting any particular? I, I, I get a particular fruit smell. I just wondered if what you were getting, Mike, on it. It's hard. I'm not getting any one particular fruit. I'm sort of. I mean, it's less fruity than than the than the Sauvignon Blanc. It seems to me. There's. I'm and not getting. Incredibly aromatic and fruity. The, the one I sort of get like uh, ink strawberries. Strawberry, um, yes, yeah. Berry. Uh, it's not as aromatic, but you get more on the, on the. No, um, funnily enough, I'm I'm finding myself having to kind of breathe in more to to smell it better, you know, because the, the first one was was so um, had such a great nose. This one's slightly less so. Yeah, and this is not. This is often you know, give, giving giving when you have a glass of wine. I mean, whatever one, you know, give it a good sniff and. Yeah. Uh, some wines, just naturally, some grape varieties are more aromatic of those. Some are yeah. more about the flavours on your palate, and others are more sort of about the perfume. It's a lovely, it's a lovely flavour, I must say, very pleasant. Very soft, and it's, it's dry rosé. Mm. Um, again, very good with summer foods. Just just to mention as well, to hop, quickly hop me back to the Sauvignon Blanc. The Sauvignon Blanc, not unsurprisingly, works very well. We're now in the English asparagus season. Yes. Try it with asparagus. It works an absolute treat. Oh, and good, because I'm going to make a little asparagus dish for my... I've got to do an MG Kitchen podcast. I'm going to make a little asparagus thing that I do with olive oil, lemon uh, and Parmesan cheese. It's really good. Oh, that's, that's perfect. Well, I mean, it's, it's not easy to find a one to go with asparagus. And, and the second one, this one, you know, this is a nice... This is a good quaffing wine, this this pink rosy. So you can see it's got this very uh, Mandala, you know, individual label. It's meant to be not taken too seriously. Yes. But the wine's not frivolous either. It's um, it's 100% Pinot Noir. Comes from a single uh, vineyard block that uh, Lawson's own, and they they predetermined to make it as a rosé. The whole Pinot Noir is grown here solely from this vineyard to make only to be used to make a rosé. And I think it's a a lovely, dry, modern, fresh, fruity, sort of strawberry fruit. Well, we're nearly we're nearly out of time, so I'm just pouring a little Great. tiny bit of the of the Pinot Noir into a into another cup. Finally, um, yeah. so let's have a go at that before we let you go. Yeah, thank you. So, oh, yeah, that's uh, no, that, not at all. Oh, that's very rich, isn't it? That's lovely. Lovely, and, and this one again, you should get fruits. Some people call it forest fruits, mixture of red and black berries. Very again, berries, yeah. And Mike, it's not too tannic, it's not too heavy. It's got a really nice sort of uh, lilting flavour. Mm. Without some volume and, and, and richness to it, uh, very good with lighter meats, roasted vegetables. Uh, goes very well with lamb in particular. Right. Um, and I think it's one of those reds where if you, as a drinker, don't you're not particularly into anything too oaky or too heavy, but you you're quite interested in trying red. This is just the sort. Pinot Noir, in particular. The Marlborough style works extremely well for you. Brilliant stuff. Well, listen, Nick, thank you so much. Uh, that's basically the Lawson's Pink Pinot, the Pinot Noir Reserve and the Sauvignon Blanc from Lawson's Dry Hills. Tell us where, where they can find Wine Trust's uh, uh, website. Thank you very much. It's obviously the www. It's winetrust100, the 100 being in the figures, .co.uk. winetrust100.co.uk. And everything comes up straight away on the homepage, including the details about the Zoom event, and if you just scroll down, you'll see the six and twelve back offers as, as well. And then obviously you hit browse all, you can see all the wines on them. They followed Lawson's from the moment they started, so they're they're 
very loyal followers and supporters, and uh, I enjoy working with them. Good very stuff. Interested. Nick, thank you very much indeed. Tremendous, beautiful wines, wonderful stuff. I'll be drinking them a little bit later on. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.